Hey, coming up on Unpolished MBA. I always say tech for tech's sake doesn't help anybody. Tech is really supplemental. It's supposed to help you do what you do better. And I always say it's just like Wi-Fi. You don't need to know how it works. You're just asking me for the password. Let me just give you the password, right? There's no sense of me beating you over the head about how things move and the speed of light and sound. Like you don't care. You just want to be able to do something with it. And that thing is what I think the the best part about tech. It can be just the, the magic in the background. This show is sponsored by TPM Focus, the strategy and execution consulting firm focused on generating revenue and finding product market fit for new innovations. Head over to tpmfocus.com to learn more. So welcome everyone to the Unpolished MBA. And today I have with me Talisha Shine. She's an IT professional who advocates for blockchain technology and educating minorities on the opportunities that blockchain offers. Her and I have been connected on LinkedIn and really through social media for years now, right, Talisha? Yes, ma'am. Well, it's a pleasure to have you today. I'm going to ask you the same two questions I ask everybody else which is, are you an entrepreneur or a corporate employee? I am an intrapreneur. So I have a corporate job, but they understand that I have external pursuits. So I do both currently. I love it. MBA or no MBA? MBA. That's all right. (laughs) I have to ask you though, you know, we're the unpolished MBA and most people think that to be good in business. I I think I'm not doing well because I don't have an MBA. I don't believe that to be true. But I always ask people, why did you decide to get your MBA? Truly, it was the job that I was working at at the time. There was a lot of just awful things going on. You know, you're just like, I know I can fix this to do my job better. And again, as an IT person, I'm always looking for efficiency hacks. And so it was just like, I know there's something that can be fixed. I just don't know how to, and I need to get that information. And that's where the MBA came. And I literally took every use case from my own job (laughs) to make sure that that was what I used for all of my theories and all everything that I submitted during my MBA was directly from my corporate job at the time. And I would take that information back to my boss and his boss and be like, see, this is what we need to be doing. And uh, they were like, yes, that's fine. But that, that was the interesting part about it was like, even when you had a solution, not everybody is receptive to a solution. They like what they like. And so I moved on from that position. But that was really the catalyst for me to get the MBA. Wow. You know what? That that sounds all too familiar with so many, uh, <laughs> so many instances where when you're making recommendations or suggestions within, uh, you know, a corporate environment. If you don't have the education, they don't tend to respect it. Mm-hmm. And then when you get it, they don't do anything with it. Like I said, I, I purposely, I mean, I made a conscious decision to be like, I'm going to school to fix these things. Do you have anything else you want me to discuss and find out? And like, It was just a very much, I went in as a, I'm going to school for us. And it really just turned out to be just something for me. Well, let me ask you this, since I'm going to school for us, was part of the conversation. Did they pay for it? 
They reimbursed me a little bit, not a lot. Okay, no, it's better than nothing. That's what I said. I'm like, yeah, you're giving me something for doing this. But yes, it wasn't the whole shebang, but I did get some compensation out of it. I have to give a round of applause for that because most companies want the benefits of you having that MBA, but then they don't want to pay for it. Exactly. So, okay. Well, I I can't be mad at them. I can't be mad at them. (laughs) I I do want to dive into what we really want to talk about right now, which is your expertise in blockchains and applications of it. So as I mentioned to the audience, your IT professional, longtime IT professional, tell me a little bit about your career background leading up to this point. And leading up to this point, wow, then we got to go way back to the 90s, which for some people probably don't even like, when is that? Like, yes, the 90s. Don't be telling all our business about the age and all that. I like being a Gen Xer. I think that's one of my superpowers. I always say that's yeah. the superpower of being knowing what wasn't and what is and what could be. Mm. So that's how kind of I even approached my career. So I started uh, again just figuring out I was an engineering major, which you already know that. And while I enjoyed engineering, I just didn't find myself in it. I still didn't know what to do. And it was the early 90s when I graduated high school. So I just kind of fell into it. I was a math and science person. And then I stopped for a little bit because I just kind of got burned out. And I knew that I wanted to go into the directory of kind of, you know, tech. But I just, again, there wasn't computer science wasn't available at that time. So I waited a little bit and went back to school and got a computer science degree, started working in my field very much right after I graduated. And I always kind of found my way. You maneuver through it, just like I tell everybody else, your skill set will kind of lead you what you're coming with and what you learned kind of bolster together, leads you to wherever you need to be. And wherever mm-hmm. I kind of kept coming into the space of being in between development teams and business teams, I would always sit there and be able to speak the tech that needed to be, but ask the right question so that the business understood and gave me the information to provide to my technical team. Mm-hmm. So that's where I've been kind of all the time, <laughs> either I'm actually hardcore coding or in between and kind of pulling out the business requirements and the functional requirements from my business team. I got into the health tech arena about 12 years ago now. And that's just a true passion of mine, combining healthcare and technology, because I just feel like that's the area that needs to be most fixed. Mm-hmm. As we have seen with this pandemic, that everything kind of fell apart, which we mm-hmm. knew was already teetering on being very broken. So at this point, that's where I spend a large portion of my time, but that's where blockchain came in, looking for, again, a better solution, something that would be efficient, give me all the things that I needed, and blockchain became that thing. So blockchain is one of those things that a lot of people don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not assuming that everyone is an engineer like us or even a technical person like us. You know, uh, we have a very diverse audience. So would you mind explaining what blockchain is in, in layperson's terms? Certainly. It is truly just a digital ledger. But I always like to make the analogy of it's the infrastructure. Think about the Internet. You don't know all the ones and zeros and the HTMLs and all of that string, but you do know how to go to an application. You know how to go to Google.com or Facebook.com. Those are applications of the information highway, as it used to be called. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much what blockchain is. It is truly the infrastructure that can give you the applications such as cryptocurrencies and NFTs. But all it is is a true ledger. It keeps all the things there very much encrypted. It has some of the components that I think most people would think of as applications upon other applications, 
Well, some of this is embedded into the actual infrastructure. So its operating system is heavily encoded. It's, you know, immutable, meaning that you can't change it. Once you write to the blockchain, you can never make any modification to that record. Mm-hmm. It's very much distributed. Everybody gets a copy of it. It's not one central database where if I hack into it and I get everything, there's no way to do that in the blockchain kind of perspective. Mm-hmm. And it's decentralized, meaning that it's not owned by any corporation. One person doesn't own it either. So that's the bang for the buck that you get with the infrastructure being so robust. And every time you build upon it, you get all of those perks and privileges. I love it. So one of the things that everyone's talking about right now is cryptocurrency and people tend to combine it all together. Cryptocurrency, NFT, blockchain, they don't know one from the other. So you just explained blockchain. Mm -hmm. Now let's talk a little bit about the relationship between blockchain and cryptocurrency. And then I want to go into the relationship between blockchain and cryptocurrency and NFTs, right? Because it all goes together. Yes, it does. So again, laid the foundation of the blockchain is what it's on. So that's the, the base and the infrastructure. So from that base, you can do things from it, such as, you know, do some algorithmic calculations to get coins. And that's what we call a mining process. And that's how you get cryptocurrencies. And cryptocurrencies are very different in the sense that most people, again, want to say a coin and a token, very, you know, you can use them interchangeably, but really they are distinct. A coin is truly currency. We know that fiat currency means that I can go and buy something at a store. I can exchange something with that currency. A token is a little different. And I always like to say it's just like Chuck E. Cheese. You go to Chuck E. Cheese, you get Chuck E. Cheese tokens, which you can, you know, buy pizza, play games and win prizes and, you know, get yourself the little bracelets that everybody wants, (laughs) (laughs) but you can't take those tokens outside and go buy McDonald's. Right. Right. I really wish that we could though, because (laughs) (laughs) you got a whole lot of Chuck E. Cheese tokens. So many left over. Exactly. Oh my gosh. But what happens is that's the ecosystem, the building that Chuck E. Cheese is in, that whole thing is the ecosystem. And that token is good while you're there. But once you leave that environment, it's no longer viable. But fiat currency will take quarters. Quarters are good at McDonald's and at Chuck E. Cheese because it's a currency. That makes the distinction between the two of them, right? Tell it, Talisha. You- Just simple. It's, it's real simple stuff. It's not, it doesn't have to be complicated. So, right. So what I can tell from the way you describe this, number one is you will make a great professor. Um, I, I just have to tell you that, you know, I, I do adjunct work here and there in entrepreneurship and it's, it's so much fun, but I, I know that the students would love you just the way you describe that. But secondly, you can also tell from your experience, you have mastered the art of explaining things to people who are not technical. Yes. I always say tech for tech's sake doesn't help anybody. Tech is really supplemental. It's supposed to help you do what you do better. Mm-hmm. And I would say it's just like Wi-Fi. You don't need to know how it works. You're just asking me for the password. Let me just That's give right. you the password, right? There's no sense of me beating you over the head about how things move and the speed of light and sound. Like you don't care. You just want to be able to do something with it. Mm-hmm. And that thing is what I think the, the best part about tech. It can be just the, the magic in the background. Yep. 
And it's definitely, it, it seems like magic. And especially with blockchain and cryptocurrency and it's, you know, people have more access to information than ever. But even with that, some people still are not aware of what it is or that it even exists, right? And yeah. so I'm very thankful for you taking the time to explain it to our audience. Now we're going to go a little bit deeper okay. and we're going to talk about NFTs. So what's the relationship between NFTs, cryptocurrency, and the blockchain. Okay, so again, we just defined kind of the difference between a token and a coin. And a NFT is a non-fungible token, meaning that it's a unique digital asset. So as we go back to the comparison, one quarter is the same as any other quarter, right? You mm-hmm. the same thing. Well, in a non-fungible, one token is exactly the only thing. It's very unique. There's one of one. And with that... That gives you something of leverage. And more importantly, it's really just an old use case of blockchain. It is to show authentication and ownership. That's what that token is supposed to represent. Mm -hmm. And it can represent a physical asset and also a digital asset. So we can go anywhere from a full picture, a portrait, a sculpture, even a house. Or we can go to something like an IP. You know, you developed your own website or your healthcare records. These are the kinds of scopes that we can see with regard to an NFT and why we would use it is, again, to show authenticity. But the one thing most people don't ever talk about is that it's programmable. NFTs are powered by smart contracts. That's another aspect of the blockchain Mm -hmm. where these smart contracts can actually do things. It's kind of this will be a tech term. uh, If then that. that If this, then that. Yeah. That's what really happens in these smart contracts, but they're able to do it at a much powerful rate and with a large information path kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so with that, that programmability, so not only do you get to have the thing, now I have a relationship with you that isn't just based on that single transaction. We can have a bilateral exchange over and over and over again. So when you think about it, it's like, yeah, I wanted to buy a ticket to my favorite artist. But now I want to know when they're in town or when they're about to release their next album or if they're having, you know, a new Instagram. That NFT could be the ticket to all that communication and bilateral thing, because once I hold that, now that person can send me all that information back and forth continuously. We're going to take a quick time out and pick back up in just a moment. Robots can do a lot of things, but did you know that there's one that can do all of your writing for you? I call it the writing robot, but the official name is Jarvis AI, and it can literally write entire books, blog posts, emails, Facebook ads, Facebook posts, any kind of social media posts, actually. Video scripts, product descriptions, tweets, the list goes on. And all you have to do is tell Jarvis AI what you want to write and then click a button and it starts generating sentences immediately. You'll be able to write more in one day than you could in a month. But the best part about it is it creates 99% original content, meaning that you'll never have to worry about someone else having the exact same copywriting as you. So anytime I'm trying to figure out what to say and how to say it, I open up Jarvis AI and I just let it go to work. And you can too. You'll never be stuck staring at a blank page again. I promise you. Can a robot write better than you? Well, at this point, I'd have to say yes. To test it out yourself, 
just go to tpmfocus.com forward slash Jarvis. And that's spelled J-A-R-V-I-S. That's tpmfocus.com forward slash Jarvis. Now, in that example, can the holder, right, the initiator of the NFT, can they provide additional ones to other people that are, I guess they would still be unique? Yeah, because it's no one of one. Yeah, it's you can make them. And I think that's what people are like, well, if you send me a copy, this is not a JPEG. Mm-hmm. It, is, it has some metadata that's attached to it or just data in general that makes it very unique. So, yes, we sold you know, 20 tickets, but your ticket gives you different access because it's yours. Yep. Whereas my ticket gives me something else. That's where the unique part comes in. And it has that ability to be maneuverable and programmable at that level as well, because it's between you and me. And with NFTs, are they bought and sold using cryptocurrency or regular currency like we do now? Both. So you can use fiat currency, you can use MasterCard and Visa to buy them, or you can actually buy them with cryptocurrency as well. And are all NFTs on the blockchain? Yes. See y'all? You see how easy that I would say true NFTs because we always into faking the things. But again, an NFT to have the ability to be a token, it has to come from a blockchain. And that's from a consensus protocol, meaning how you get it from that that source. So sometimes we mine it, which means we're solving an algorithm to get that or a proof of stake, which just means that we kind of create a paradigm that works with it. And then that's how we give you that information and generate that token. So in order to get access to these NFTs and and different opportunities that are on the blockchain, you have to register for a platform. Correct. You have to go to a a registered platform that has them. That's Mm -hmm. the one thing. So if you know what NFT you want. Not every platform will have it Mm -hmm. and you have to go there and register. And some of them require you to have a wallet or again, you can just put in your credit card number and you can buy it, but you again, to store it, that's where you said you can buy it, but then where do you put it? You still need a digital wallet in order to be able to capitalize upon your NFT and show that it's yours. Mm -hmm. So I I just wanted to to say to everyone, we kind of flow through this conversation. Feel free to back up, rewind it, listen to it again, match it up against some reading you may do on your own or YouTube videos. But I really wanted to point out how this conversation kind of flowed for us because I knew what questions to ask. And when you're new to something, you may not know what questions to ask. And so it's good to have a basis right? Just a little bit of basis before having a conversation. But if not, as you can see, someone like Talisha has such a strong sense of explaining things so that the non-technical person can understand it. So I know that you're involved in several educational initiatives and things to help different communities understand this growing web 3.0, right? (laughs) That's basically what it is. Yes. To understand and learn it more, you want to share a little bit more about your work in that realm? Sure. And I love that you brought up Web 3.0 because everybody's like, what is that? What does that actually Mm -hmm. mean? And if we kind of look back over the time of 
where we started from the internet from the very, very early age. And I was there when you had to use the, you know, the alphanumeric. Stop telling the business. Girl, I like it. I'm almost 50. <laughs> I am proud. I'm happy because I'm like, we never going back there. Yes. <laughs> Punch cards. No, thank you. And then we got domain names. Like this is where, you know, and I think that insight again is why this particular time, very, very great for us. In the sense of, like I said, we can maneuver because we knew what was and what could be. And we remember when it wasn't that. So Web.10 was truly just what I consider read only. Most people have read only access. You can't do anything, but you can access. And that was really the digitization of things. We digitized the phone book. We digitized menus. We digitized the movie, you know, Mm -hmm. that was all that that was. It was just information in a new place. And then we got to Web 2.0, which allowed us to have read-write access. Mm -hmm. So at that point, we could read it. You could go to Facebook and type your opinion. You could do different things. But the latter portion of the Web 2.0 was the e-commerce part. We could start to buy things. Mm -hmm. And that made us real strong consumers in a different way. Mm -hmm. And as we transition from Web 2 to Web 3, we have all that capability. We have the read-write. And we have the consumerism, but now we have ownership and that changes the game. Your attention. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that's the blow up the whole game Mm -hmm. (laughs) because now everything you do within the space can be monetized from your attention, how long you stay there, how many articles you read to your comment, to things that you just want to put up there. I want to show you a picture, but this is how I'm going to do it. And all of this now changes the scope of what we're doing. And again, that's why I think people are always like, oh, this is too tech or I don't know where I fit. You're going to do the exact same thing that you're always doing. But now you have to think about it. What's in it for me? Think mm-hmm. of yourself as a business. You're now transacting everywhere you go. You are doing a business transaction because you're giving them something and they have to now in kind give you something. In return. So that's a difference, right? So that's where I kind of always thought about this when we, even when we created the Black Blockchain Consultants, which is the educational platform that we created back in 2017. That was our mission, really, to tell people, you know, not to give them tech information, but really show them how they fit into this new space, mm-hmm. either reskilling themselves, learning just something new, pulling their information that they have from their corporate jobs or all the experiences they have, and now applying it. And again, just being conscientious consumers, because that's exactly what you'll still be doing. You'll still be participating, but now with a different intent. And it removes the the middleman, right? Because before I needed Facebook in order to, you know, to sell something or, you know, or I needed Amazon, whatever it is, right? So we we always had this middleman, but with the Web 3.0, you don't need that middleman. Blockchain Blockchain is a peer-to-peer network. It's, it's meant to be, it's to take out the intermediaries to get those out of there and just let it be. We have decided you want to sell me your house. Cool. Let's do it. Let's do it. That's right. right. We could do that just right there. Have the NFT. That's the contract. I get the deed. Boom. We're done. Mm-hmm. And it's written and it's mutable and everybody can see it. It's not like we did something, you know, shady or in, in some secret room. If I go to that blockchain browser, I could see, yep, we made a transaction. There it is. And it's going to be there forever. That is game changing, especially for an industry like real estate, where, 
you know, once you put a contract on a house, it's title search. You have to pay for title insurance to make sure that, oh, if someone comes back later and say, no, I actually own that property. You don't own it. You know, you have title insurance that'll pay, you know, that lawsuit or whatever that person off. Like all of that stuff goes away. Correct. All of it. And what happens also now you have an other layer, which is now you can tokenize the property itself. Like if I say, okay, we're going to split it. How do we split a house? <laughs> you know, that's very difficult. Mm-hmm. But if we tokenize it, I can take the value from that NFT and I can leverage it somewhere else. So maybe I do want to buy something else and the NFT is the way I do it. Whereas before you can't break a physical asset like that. You can't break it down into these little mini pieces. With tokenization, you can, and you can leverage it in different ways. Again, this is, goes back to the monetization piece. What part of it do you want to monetize? Do you want to hold on to it? Do you want to sell it? Or do you want to leverage it for DeFi or collateral? Whatever you want. Those are the kind of possibilities now that Web3 gives us that is just not possible right now. Mm-hmm. So for those of you who don't know what DeFi is, it's decentralized finance. And so do you want to explain that just real quick, what DeFi sure. is? That again is the, the tokenomics piece of how we are moving through this space. So DeFi allows you to stake, which means just kind of participate in the blockchain. And while it accumulates those coins, you're you're there as the base. You're acting as the bank yourself. So you're storing the token or the coin there and you get a residual. So you get interest and dividends and all that kind of stuff. And just in the other aspect too, you have the maneuverability. Your coin can be different things in different places. So when you're looking at the space, it's like, yes, I want it to be here, but maybe I want to leverage the coin. Like you have Bitcoin, but you're like, yeah, I'm not going to you know, sell it at this point, but I still want to maintain it. Well, then you can stake it in different places in order to gain interest on it. So it acts very similar to our finance system now. It just is much more robust and much more flexible. And they're afraid of it. I'm telling you right but now, they are afraid. I just no point you lose it. I don't need you anymore. It's between me and the other person. And that becomes, it's, I always say, that parent-child uh, relationship. You, you don't need me anymore. It's like, yeah, I don't need you. Thank you, though. There you go. There you go. I just came back from the big financial conference called Money 2020 last month. And let me tell you, the banks, they shake it in their boots. They try to act like they're playing it cool, but they're peeking around, sniffing around to see, hey, what is this? What is this doing? Like, they're all in. This I, going I, to I tell you, they have been all in. And this is why being in this space for so long, you got to watch you know, I watched JP Morgan chase and them say, oh, it's a fad. It's horrible. While they were bl- building their own blockchain and then buy yeah. millions and millions of dollars of Bitcoin in the back. Yeah. So that's what's happening is there's a race going on trying to figure it out. But this is hard because it moves at a breakneck pace. And that slowness is truly an inhibitor because we have other nations, specifically third world countries, or I would say everybody besides the United States uh-huh. are moving much quicker because they don't have that bureaucracy around certain things. And this That's is a right. test and learn kind of thing. Just like in any tech, you have to really test it to break it and see what happens. And we just don't do that very well here, whereas other countries are much more agile with that. And so they're seeing large aspects of you know, let, let's see how this works. Or maybe we do create a token or maybe we do just digitize our, our fiat currency. So they're moving in all different areas and doing many, many use cases simultaneously, 
trying to find the best fit while we're still trying to figure out if we're going to do it. I tend to think that that's a result of us being too comfortable. Like things are working just fine. You know, people at the top like, hey, things are fine. Why do we need to shake things up? Where in other countries, there's like hunger to win and, and make the, the nation better and make the um, yes. circumstances for the people better. And like there's a sense of urgency there. We're here. We're comfortable. So it's like, okay, yeah, we'll look into that later. But right now, you know, I have this over here going on. It's just too um, hard to ignore. I think that's the only problem. Yes, <laughs> you can't, you can't ignore this. It is not a fad. It's not just a trendy little thing that's happening. It is here and it's going to continue to grow. Yeah, it's just like the internet did. Exactly. So, you know, I want you to tell me about this new initiative you're working on with Correlate Health the new initiative that I know that you got going on. So you mind sharing a little bit about that? All my passions rolled into one. So we have healthcare, health tech, IT, and blockchain and NFTs. So we have it all in one fell swoop. And this is a platform that truly is allowing individuals to leverage their medical data. The Cures Act, which was just, you know, kind of finalized and put into legislation, really does give us the ability to now have control of our medical records, at least access them before Mm -hmm. you had to go to your doctor. And he said, okay, and maybe you get them six weeks later in a whole fax or some sort. But now with that piece of legislation, we are entitled to them in real time. And with that, there are other aspects to it and not only just monetization, but just for your own personal records of yourself. You know, you may be living in different places. You may have disparate records and we do now have different care facilities, but you want a collective health record. You want to be able to say, yep, I don't want to fill this form out over and over again. Every time I go see the specialist or just my regular PCP, this gives you the ability to do that within a space and give you an NFT to be able to, again, now, maneuver through. So you don't have to just give somebody your, all of your medical records. You can give them a part of your medical records mm-hmm. and you can also send it with, because the NFT is that bilateral exchange, I can give it to you for a set amount of time. Love it. Right. You don't have to have that whole, like you had my record indefinitely or for seven years, HIPAA compliancy. Now I can say, this is the information you need to help me with this episode of care. And you have it for 48, 72 hours to make that decision. And thank you. And we move along. That is awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I was uh, just talking about this weekend, which is is crazy. I know we're supposed to be vacationing and I'm talking about applications of of blockchain with buying and selling your own data. And, Mm -hmm. you know, right now, let's say you have an Apple watch or you have a Samsung watch and it's just, you know, they have access to your data. But if you allowed someone else, if you wanted to share that data and put it somewhere, then this is the proper environment to do something like that. Correct. Because you do want transparency. You want to be able to say, who has my record? What are they doing with it? And for how long? That is the the part we've been, again, unfortunately, the web 2.0 just made us check the box. Yep. And just to give just give me access and just check the box if you want in. Now that was the gatekeeper and we had to remove that. But we are now kind of in that habitualness of just checking the box and giving everything away for free. Yeah. We have to roll that back and like, OK, what's in it for me? Exactly. Why need this? What part do you need? Mm-hmm. Now you get to have a conversation before I'm just being told, giving me everything to get into the you know, into the space. 
So what's your role in Correlate Health? Are you a co-founder, CTO, something like that? Yes, I am not the co-founder. I am the chief information officer for them. Oh, that is fantastic. Yes, we just kind of roll. I was an advisor early on and just love the project so much. And this is where you find just things that you're really passionate about. And there's so many things out here. So I always tell people there's enough for everybody. Just find where you fit and, and just dive in. Mm-hmm. Are they raising money now? Like what stage is the company in? Do they have the product ready? Yeah, we are in the in a raise. So if you can go to Net Capital, you'll see Correlate Health there. And we are going to hopefully close this round out at the end of next month, which is, starts tomorrow. So a few more days left, but we are just looking to finalize because again, they're, we're creating a marketplace. So that is obviously the tech, you know, tech heavy in that space. But other than that, that's what we're moving on. And we're looking to release some of what we have kind of modulation going on with certain things, because this is also for clinical trials. Again, COVID has really shown the the lack of data and the mismanagement of data all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And from our standpoint, specifically our community, knowing that we have hesitancy about giving information and even going to doctors, having a place that would really take care of the data, make us feel secure, and also give us the compensatory aspect of using our data is something that we were really passionate about and to ensure that, that we could do that. And this is where we've kind of merged that clinical trial, people who are looking for clinical trials, specifically looking for very, you know, participants that have certain markers and whatnot, mm-hmm. and combining those two and bringing them to together in a very safe environment and allowing them to get the information they need to ultimately do what they need to do. Wow. Incredible. Well, Talisha, we're going to wrap up this episode and I want to thank you so much for sharing all of your expertise and knowledge with the Unpolished MBA podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the Unpolished MBA podcast. To hear more episodes or to request to become a guest, please visit unpolishedmba.com.